Hi, welcome to another inspirational message by Pastor Alex Papas, Senior Pastor at Oceans Unite Christian Center. So great to be with you all this morning. (laughs) And um, I just want to say real quick before we get into this morning's message, I'm really excited about the men's conference. We have Brad Huddleston coming, amen. And uh, if you've ever seen Brad before, he's an incredible speaker. I'm so excited about having him come. He's been at our church twice already. And when he comes, he shakes things up a little bit because he wakes us up to what's going on in the world today, specifically with technology and how it affects us and how it's affecting us. And I think right now on the planet, we need to be aware of what's going on. The Bible says that we should not be ignorant of the devil's devices. That doesn't mean that cell phones are the devil, but we need to do all things in some form of order. Is that okay? So Brad's coming. He'll speak at the men's conference. Him and I will be doing that together. So men, mark your calendars. It's going to be a great time. And then that weekend, he'll be ministering to the church as well. So don't worry, ladies. You'll get your fair share as well. It's going to be awesome. I'm looking forward to that. I hope you guys are as well. This morning, I'm going to be sharing a message that has really been in my heart. And it's one of those messages where I have so much to say and not enough time to say it. So I'm going to kind of start this morning by just laying a small foundation so that you can understand where I'm coming from. As soon as I begin to read Scripture in a moment, you're going to say, Why did that, what did that have to do with what I'm going to be ministering on? And you'll understand, so just bear with me. If you study Scripture, you will find out that the children of Israel were in the wilderness, and while they were in the wilderness, God desired to dwell among them. And so he instructed Moses to build a tabernacle and build an ark, the ark of the covenant. How many of you know what that is? And when he established the tabernacle, there were three parts to the tabernacle. The outer courts, there was also the holy place, and then there was the most holy place. On the outer courts was the brazen laver and the altar of incense. Uh, um, I'm sorry, and the the brazen altar and the brazen laver. And basically what would happen was, is that the priests would prepare all the sacrifices. They would prepare all the sacrifices on the brazen altar. And those sacrifices were for atonement, for forgiveness of sins. The brazen laver was where the priests would prepare themselves to go into the holy place to basically do worship to God, and they had to maintain certain items in the holy place. In the holy place was the showbread, the table of showbread, the golden candlestick, and the altar of incense. The golden candlestick was the part that would give light to the tabernacle. It was the only part that had light, and obviously behind that was the next part, which was the most holy place, and I believe there was light coming from there as well. But that light was glorious. Anyway, so in the holy place, while they were taking care of the menorah or the candlestick, there were seven little lamps on this candlestick that had oil. That oil had to be maintained by these priests. The most holy place was only accessible by the high priest. The other priests were not allowed to go beyond the holy place into the most holy place, only the high priest, and he would do so on the Day of Atonement once a year. It was so sacred, so holy, 
so dangerous to go into that place that the priests would actually tie a rope around their legs. And if they died, they would get pulled out because no one would dare go in there. It was a very sacred thing. And God had established his law so that the people would be able to worship him and be atoned for their sins, and they would serve him that way. And so this carried on for many, many, many years. And eventually what ended up happening was the ark found its resting place, the tabernacle found its resting place at Shiloh. Shiloh was a very special place where the tribes of Israel were all reunited. And also at Shiloh, the ark had been there for more than 300 years. That's a long time. So you must know priests had changed places and many high priests had come and many had gone. And so it was that the ark had been there for many, many years. And while at Shiloh, Eli became priest. How many of you know the story of Eli? Eli ate too many hamburgers and he didn't really follow God the way that he should have. He became lazy. He didn't serve God. He didn't have passion anymore. And when he lost his passion and things began to go wrong there, what ended up happening eventually is that the ark actually was stolen from Shiloh. Let me tell you something. If you lose your passion for God, the glory can get taken away. The presence departed from Israel. And it was a very difficult time for the children of Israel. But what had happened was religion had set in. What was taking place in the tabernacle at that stage with, with Eli's sons was an, was an absolutely terrible thing. All kinds of horrendous things they were doing and practicing in the tabernacle. It had lost its sacredness. When religion creeps in sometimes, we end up losing what's most important. It loses its sacredness. It loses its holiness. You know, if you study, you'll find out that the priests in the beginning were so excited about serving God. They were so determined. They couldn't wait to be in the presence of God. It was the greatest honor to be able to go into the holy, of, into the holy place and, 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 and take care of the candlestick and, and, and take the, 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 the incense and, and worship God and spend time in the presence of God. These was a, this was a great honor for the priests. But as time went on, religion and law became very overwhelming and it became increasingly difficult to maintain that. And so I've said all of that to get to where I want to start this morning. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, he made a way for you and I to be able to have relationship with him, to be able to serve him. How many of you are grateful for that? The Old Testament is full of, of law. And listen, the fact is I love much of the law. I love much of what God says, and what God says is holy, is holy and sacred. And the word of God is always holy. We, we believe in the entirety of God's word. But something interesting began to happen in the early church. Because you see, up until the early church, God was the God of Israel. He, you know, the Gentile nations did not serve God. There were very few individuals like King Nebuchadnezzar and others that God would encounter. And I'm sure there are many that we don't know about that would be, begin to serve the Lord. But, but in, in the normal was that the Gentile nations would serve all kinds of false gods. Whereas the children of Israel, they worshiped the God who is the only God. 
And so when Jesus came, he came to restore men, all of men, to God. I don't know about you, but aren't you glad you're born now? Amen? So thankful. But as the early church began to minister, as they began to go out into the different parts of the nations, something incredible was beginning to, beginning to happen. The Gentile nations were starting to repent and turn to God. And they would give up their idolatry. They would give up their false religions. And they became passionate about God. And this was very challenging to the early church because they were Jewish. They believed in, in, the, in the customs and the Hebrew laws. And, and they, they, this was challenging for them because not only was it challenging for them that Gentiles were getting saved, but like they just weren't doing it right. They weren't as holy as, 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 as they were supposed to be. They weren't following customs the way they were supposed to be. And so a, a dispute took place in the council amongst the leaders of the church. And it was brought to their attention and they had to make a decision about how they were supposed to move forward. What were they supposed to do? And so we're going to pick up right there in that story. Let's go to Acts 15 verse number 5. And I'll get to, you'll understand why I spoke to you about the tabernacle of Moses in just a moment. So just bear with me. It's very important for me that I get you to jump in the river with me. Is that okay? There is a river. We'll preach about that river one day. Acts 15 verse number 5. So they're in the middle of this dispute. Now watch this. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believe rose up. Let's stop there. I want you to take note. You thought that the Pharisees were all against Jesus. Well, here the Bible tells us that there were Pharisees who believed, which tells me there are still Pharisees today. Make sure you're not a Pharisee. So the Pharisees that were believers were not happy about what was taking place with the church. And they said this, saying it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Now the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. This is not a, not a joke. It's a serious thing to them. Because you must understand, if you understand Jewish culture, the, the Israeli culture, especially back then, they were so committed, so dedicated. They walked with the Lord in the most incredible way. Even today, I have Jewish friends that I, I, I stand and watch their relationship and their, in their pursuit of God, and I admire it tremendously. Very admirable. And the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter, and when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said to them, Men and brethren, you know that a, a good while ago, God chose among us that by my mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And so God, who knows the heart, acknowledges them by giving them the Holy Spirit. Let's stop there. I want to just put you in the picture. Now, you must remember Peter was like very committed to God very committed to Jesus. After he had denied Jesus, he was so sold out on the vision and the mission that he had. And you, most of you know the story that Peter's in Joppa, 
And Cornelius has a visitation by an angel and tells him to send men to Joppa, to where Peter is, to get Peter to come and minister to them because they are Gentiles. They are Italians. Of course, the Holy Spirit found Italians first. Forza Italia. Amen? Okay. <laughs> we can have a great discussion about that right now. Okay. So anyway, so while Peter is busy praying, he has a vision. And in this vision, I'm not going to share the vision with you, but basically God is telling him that he must go to the Gentiles. And Peter resists. And so God gives him the vision three times about unclean animals and hooved animals and birds and, and all this uncleanness. And he tells Peter to kill and eat. And Peter's like, not so, Lord, for not unclean thing has ever entered my mouth. And he's resisting and resisting and resisting. And eventually there's a knock at the door. And after three times having the same vision, he realizes that God wants him to go with this Italian regiment. And so he goes to Cornelius' house. And while he's busy preaching to these Gentiles about Jesus, and I must say it must have been done with much resistance from Peter's part. But while he's preaching, the Holy Spirit must have been upon him in the most incredible way. And he couldn't even help the words that were coming out of his mouth. And there was no laying on of hands or anything. And the Holy Spirit fell upon this Gentile group of Italian people. And while they were busy listening to the word of God, the Holy Spirit fell upon them and they began to speak in tongues, the Bible says. And they began to prophesy. I want you to understand that if you read scripture, the book of Acts, that you see without a shadow of a doubt, a following through after salvation, that the the disciples, the apostles made sure that the Holy Spirit also fell upon individuals as well. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you are filled with His power. You are equipped to go to a whole new dimension. And we see this time and time again in Scripture. So Peter's you know, hesitant and he's preaching. And, and all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit falls upon these individuals. And he knows what happened on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit fell upon them. So he looks at the Jews that were with him and he says to them, can we deny baptism to these? Because obviously the same way the Spirit fell upon us, he has fallen upon them. So God has accepted these individuals, these unclean individuals. These individuals that don't do the law the way they're supposed to. These are not proper people. They are not right they are wrong in every sense. And he's talking about you, by the way. <laughs> Just by the way. And so Peter goes, we know the story, and he explains it to them. But now some time has gone by. And the Pharisees and those of the church are saying, listen, what are we going to do about these Gentiles? We've got to bring them in. We've got to convert them. They've got to be like us. And Peter's the one who gets up and defends them first. Watch this. So Peter says, in verse number eight, so God who knows the heart acknowledges them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did us. Now watch. And made no distinction. No distinction between who? Jew or Gentile. No distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Everybody say by faith. The way that you are saved is by faith. If you believe 
and you confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and that he is the Son of God, if you have faith and believe that, you will be saved. It's not tradition. It's not religion. It's not laws. It's not how good you are or how bad you are. That comes after conversion. Because once you've tasted and seen the goodness of God, you can't go back to your vomit anymore. Come on, somebody give the Lord a clap and a shout that God saved you the way that you were. Peter gets up and he says, listen, there's no distinction between us and them. You see, they thought that they were better because they knew how to practice the law. Whereas these Gentiles, they were a mess. They were a disaster. But yet they were coming to faith. Yet they were getting saved. Something was happening and they didn't understand it. Verse number 10. Now therefore, why do you test God? By putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our faith, neither our fathers nor we were able to bear. He says, listen, you want to put that stuff on them? We couldn't handle it. Now you want them to handle it. Something's busy happening with these individuals that are getting saved. Something amazing is happening. Just leave them. Let them be. This is Peter, by the way. It's awesome. Anyway, all right. It's my moment. I enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> But we believe that through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same, that we shall be saved in the same manner as they. Then all the multitude kept silent and listened to Paul, Barnabas and Paul declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles. And I love this. I love this. Because Paul, who basically was the disciple to the Gentiles, gets up after Peter makes his statement. And he says, listen, men. He says, you have to understand that when we minister to the Gentiles, we see God move in the most miraculous way. There are miracles and the deaf are hearing and the blind are seeing and people's lives are being changed. Something amazing is happening. And listen, it's happening with those heathens, with those Gentiles, those unclean people. And they, they, didn't, they didn't do things right this morning when they woke up. They didn't practice tradition the way they should have. All they did was believe. And all of a sudden, miracles are happening. All of a sudden, they're being converted and being changed. And, and then when they get changed, they run to their family and want to tell their whole family about Jesus. And they follow. Something was happening. And these men couldn't quite put the box around them to make it fit the mold didn't make any sense. Verse 13, and after they had become silent, James, who was in charge, answered saying, men and brethren, listen to me. Simon has declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. In other words, God was going to take the Gentile people and they were going to be God's special people. I want you to know that you might not be Jewish, you might be a Gentile, but I want you to know that that's okay. That's good enough for God because He's given you a special name. He's called you a special people. Listen, the disciples, the apostles are the one who said there is no difference 
between them and us. There is no distinction between them and us. Just like we are children of the Most High, they are also children of the Most High. Just like the Jews are precious in His sight, we are, the, the Gentiles are also precious in His sight. It's very important that you understand that. They are precious, we are precious. We are all children of the King. Amen. And with this word, the prophets agree. Oh, and here it comes. You see, we can all say a lot of things. But James is about to say, but God has already said. And listen, when God has already said something, that's the way it's going to be. Doesn't matter what the world says. Doesn't matter what some say. Doesn't matter what any person says. When God says it is so, I want you to know it is so. In other words, after this argument after this point is about to be made, the issue will be settled. He says, and with this word, the prophets agree just as it is written. After this, I will return and rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins and I will set it up so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. Everybody say, seek the Lord. I want you to know that that's the key. The key to relationship with God, the key to your walk with God, the key to your success with God is will you seek Him or will you not? Those who seek Him will find Him. Those who knock, the door will be open. Those who ask, they will receive. And then he says this, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who does all these things known to God from eternity are all his works. Let's stop right there. It's amazing. Because what is it about this tabernacle of David that is so amazing. You see, if you look at the tabernacle of Moses, which I've shared with you about already, there was law, there was tradition, and it was good. But what happened between Shiloh and the tabernacle of David was a couple of things that you need to know about. You see, the ark was taken by the Philistines and eventually came back into the hands of Israel. But only David was the one who said, listen, the ark must come back to Zion, to Jerusalem. And so when that happens, we know the story that Uzzah tries to catch the ark from falling, a good thing, but it ends up killing him because there were some things out of order. Everybody say order. I want you to know that God is a God of order. Never forget that. God may want you to do the extraordinary, to be bold and step out and do something radical, but He's always a God of order. And so intentions were good, things were good, but He ended up doing something out of order. And so the ark ends up going to Obed-Edom's home. In Obed-Edom's home, Obed-Edom becomes very, very blessed, and David becomes very, very jealous. He ends up getting the ark taken back to Jerusalem, and in Jerusalem, he establishes the tabernacle. But when he does it, it's nothing like the tabernacle of Moses. The tabernacle of Moses was 
was private. It was difficult to even get near the, the most holy place. You were not allowed. The priests were the only ones who could go into the holy place, and the high priest, the only one that could go into the presence of God, into the most holy place. But with David, all he did was build a tent and put the ark in the middle. But he did something. He did something amazing. You see, in the tabernacle of Moses, all the sacrifices were for atonement. But David went beyond that. David desired that the offerings would be spiritual offerings. Offerings of worship. Offerings of praise. Offerings of singing. In fact, David organized ministries of singers. He organized musicians and instruments. He organized all of this because it was his desire. His desire was to have instruments and music and worship played before God. And I want you to understand something, that the priest who did something wrong or maybe thought something wrong, I don't know what it was that he did, that would go into the most holy place, would die in the time of Moses. But in the time of David, they were able to come before the ark, all the priests, and they were selected and they were chosen and they, were, they would go into the ark and they would begin to worship God. They would begin to sing praises to God. They would begin to write psalms to God. Did you know that many of the psalms that you read today were written in front of the ark? They were literally written in the presence of God. Let me show you one or two. Are you guys okay? And I'll get to my point in just a moment. If you're saying, what's the point? <laughs> Should never do that. Psalm 80, verse number one. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who dwell between the cherubim, shine forth. Many scholars believe that that was written right in the presence of the two cherubim. They would minister thanks to the Lord. They would minister praise to the Lord. They would minister clapping of hands. Listen, clapping of hands in church is scriptural. If you don't believe me, let's go to Psalm 47, verse number one. A psalm of, a psalm of the sons of Korah. Oh, clap your hands, all you people. Shout to God with a voice of triumph. Ministries of lifting of hands. These singers and musicians were appointed the Bible says that singers and musicians were actually separated and they were priests. They used musical instruments. And this comes from 1 Chronicles 25, verse number 7. They also chose a leader. You thought that we were crazy having bands with music leaders and directors and people that instruct the music. It happened in the tabernacle of David. It happened. Why? So that worship could, to God could take place. The Bible says that when Jesus was with the woman at the well, she wanted to know where should we worship God? Is it here in Samaria or is it in Jerusalem? And Jesus said, the day is coming where you will neither worship on that mountain or on this one, but the day is coming where the true worshipers will worship God in spirit and in truth. You see, the day was coming where God wanted to reestablish the tabernacle of David, which comes through the Messiah that gives you, who are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, 
the right to come into the presence of God and worship the King of glory. Do you know how fortunate you are? Do you realize how blessed you are that you are a people that can come before the ark of God, the presence of God and worship the King of glory? Come on, somebody, you better give the Lord a big shout this morning. You see, music is something very special. It's interesting to note that when Eli was busy in his last years, a woman came to him whose name was Hannah. And Hannah desperately had a desire to have a child. And even in Eli's state, the word of the Lord came to him and she, he prophesied that this woman would have a child. And this child's name was Samuel. And Samuel was raised in the temple, in the tabernacle, by Eli, because Hannah promised that she would give him to the Lord. And Samuel ended up being a, a prophet, and it was a new era that took place in the Old Testament. And it's very interesting that even in the life of Samuel, we begin to see the power of worship, the power of music. Did you know that when Saul was about to be made king, he was told by Samuel to go to a group of prophets and that something was going to take place. Let me read it to you. 1 Samuel 10 verse number 5. After that you shall come. He's telling Saul what will happen. He says, after that you shall come to the hill of God where the Philistine garrison is. And it will happen when you have come there to the city that you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with stringed instrument, a flute, and a harp before them. Sorry, I didn't read about the tambourine. <laughs> and they will be, what will they be doing? They will be prophesying. You see, they, these prophets, the school of the prophets, a new era that had come into the Old Testament, they were praying worship music, and there was an anointing. The presence of God was on these prophets, and Samuel sent Saul to them. And the Bible says that after you shall come to the hill of God, verse number six, then the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you. So when he came to these prophets, the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you, and you will prophesy with them and be turned into the other men. You see, what began to happen was worship began to be implemented. And we see David's the one who brings it into the tabernacle. Now, why is that important? It's important because the early church recognized that God was about to raise up a people that would reestablish the tabernacle of David. They weren't going to do things the normal way. You don't have to be like anybody else except who God called you to be. There's only one thing you're required to do. Worship Him. Worship Him. Give your heart to Him. And you see God move in the life of these individuals, just as Paul and Barnabas described. Miracles were taking place. That the early church, who were the Gentiles, listen, we're talking about the Corinthian church, guys. These were a bunch of idol worshipers. 
that would do all kinds of sexual evil stuff. You've got no idea that we're encountering God. Now you must change them. They must become the same way that, that, the, that, the, that the Jews were. They, they couldn't do it. But yet they loved God. They wanted to follow him. They were passionate. They did a whole lot of things wrong. And Paul got them straight and put them in order. But he didn't try and bring them under the law. He said this to them. He said, pursue love. Pursue love. Pursue the Lord. Pursue Him. And that's the secret. That's the secret to your walk, to your success with God. You are a Gentile. Yes, you are. But you have been named by God. You have been called by God, separated by God. And your destiny and purpose is to be part of rebuilding and establishing the tabernacle of David, which is a place of worship and intimacy with God. Well, what about all the other stuff? The other stuff comes naturally. Well, does that mean we can just sin and do what we want? You can be ugly and do something about it, but stupid is forever. <laughs> Absolutely not. God has not called you to walk in sin. He's called you to change. But you will still make mistakes. But grace is not a license to sin. But you see, there was a difference. Religion killed the glory, whereas David restored it. And how did he do it? With a heart for God. That's why the Bible calls him a man after God's heart because he wanted to pursue the presence of God. How many of you know that David played his harp, right? And so when King Saul... When King Saul had a distressing spirit that was sent to him by God, something remarkable happened in the Old Testament that you see nowhere else in Old Testament Scripture. In no Old Testament Scripture do you ever see deliverance. However, in the book of Matthew, Jesus comes on the scene and deliverance is like normal. It happens all the time. But something happened when David would play his instrument. The Bible says in 2 Samuel 23, verse number 1. No, sorry, that's the wrong scripture. Let's go to 1 Samuel 16, 23. 1 Samuel 16, 23. And so it was, whenever the Spirit from God was upon Saul, that David would take a harp and play it with his hand. Then Saul would become refreshed and well, and the distressing spirit would depart from him. You and I are called to worship him, to worship our God, to seek after him. And I want you to know that when you do that, every distressing spirit and every plan of the enemy will be totally destroyed in your life. If it could happen in the Old Testament time, which is far less than what we have today in this new covenant, can you only imagine with the Holy Spirit dwelling on the inside of you, what will happen as you pursue the presence, as you pursue God with all of your heart? I don't know about you, but I'm so thankful that God has accepted us the way that we are. And the requirement is believe, have faith. 
So you that think it's so hard to serve God, no, it's not. It's just what's most important to you. What's most important to you? You have been given the most incredible gift. We live in the most remarkable time. And we can serve him freely with our whole hearts. Last night I shared, and I'll close with this, how Caleb ends up fulfilling the word of the Lord that was given to him when he was a young man at 40 years old. And when he's 85, he goes to Joshua and he says, Joshua, he says, I still want the promise that God gave me when I was 40 to go and take the land. The Lord gave me a word that I would take the land that was promised to me. And it was actually the land that was the most difficult. It was where the Anakin were. The Anakin were the giants. Listen, he's 85 years old. He doesn't go to Joshua and say, listen, God owes me because God said to me that I would take this land. He goes and he says, listen, I am ready. I'm 85 now. I'm just as strong as I was when I was 40. I want to go and take that land where the Anakin are. In other words, he wanted to go to the most difficult place, the most challenging place at 85 years old to fulfill the promise that was given to him. And he knew that God would do it. And do you know what the Bible says why he knew? The Bible says he knew because he served God with his whole heart. With his whole heart. Can you and I be a people that will serve the Lord with our whole hearts? Is there anybody in this place this morning that says, here I am. I might have done some things wrong. I might have not done it right before. But today I make a decision to serve the Lord with my whole heart. I give you my whole heart this morning, God. I give you thanks, Lord. I give you praise, Lord. I might not have done it right yesterday, but today I make a decision to serve you with my whole heart. Is there anybody in this place that says, come here, here I am, Lord. Here I am, Lord. Come on, church, let's give the Lord a big shout. Come on, church, let's give the Lord a big clap. Somebody better give the Lord a shout this morning in this place. Hallelujah. 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 That's it. It's not that complicated. You have been called to rebuild the tabernacle of David, to be one of those priests. Remember, you are a royal priesthood. And yes, I know there's more to it than just this. There's also the, 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 the king's side. We're not going to get into that today. I want you to know that you are called. You are called to be a priest and, the, and you, are, you have access to the presence of God. Now go ahead and take it. Go ahead and do it regardless of where you come from. Your mistakes, your shortcomings, and your weaknesses. The Lord will accept you the way you are. The only requirement is to have faith and go before Him with your whole heart. We hope you enjoyed today's teaching. For more teaching like this and other material, please visit our website at www.oceansunite.com.